welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. Today, I actually have a live coaching call for you to listen to. Author M.K. Sawyer needed help um, hashing out the plot of a trilogy that he, she is trying to write. This is a service that I offer to all authors. If you are interested in having me help you hash out the plot of your book, give you some ideas, figure out what is missing, you know, how to fill in those plot holes, that sort of thing, you can book me for a power hour coaching call at bit.ly forward slash power hour 97. I also want to remind you that the doors to my writing course will be open in mid-June, so that's coming up pretty quick. And this is the sort of thing that I teach in my course. I teach the nine plot points, but I actually go a lot deeper than that. The nine plot points is sort of the bottom tier. So if this is the kind of thing you want to learn to, you know, just tell great stories and make sure that you've got everything that you need to really, really connect with the reader and write a, a really great story, that's the sort of thing um, that I do teach in my course. And so that might be something that will interest you. So if you are at all interested in that or in hearing more about it, um, the best thing to do is to join the Prolific Author Facebook group. I'm going to do a five-day challenge leading up to the course doors opening, and we will be doing it within that Facebook group. So just go to Facebook and uh, search for the Prolific Author, and the group should pop right up for you. Okay, so let's get into the coaching call. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution, where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill, USA Today bestselling author and story clarity coach. When I'm not dictating my own stories about dragons, serial killers, and dystopian worlds, I help other authors write their own transformational fiction, position them as bestsellers, and market them like pros. Join me on the podcast where I give writing tips, marketing how-tos, story advice, and interviews with other authors who are in the trenches just like you and making it work. We are prolific authors. All right, so we are here with author Michaela Sawyer, who is writing a trilogy, and she's got book one written and book two mostly written, but she's struggling with book three and um, what to put in book two versus book three. Is that right, Michaela? Yep, that covers it. <laughs> okay. Now, is book one published already? It is not. It's almost ready to go to an editor, but not published yet. Okay, so what kinds of things are you putting in book two? that you're struggling with where they should go book two is a lot of explaining my magic system and going into past lives of characters that i introduced in book one and it's kind of like almost a book within a book at this point and that part that takes place in the past is getting to be quite long and complex because i'm setting up relationships there and introducing and fleshing out this brand new villain and explaining how the magic works and a lot of stuff that has affected the characters' lives in the present. And it's challenging because the chapters keep getting bigger. I keep adding chapters and it just feels like a lot of information to wrangle on. I'm not sure what I need to explain in book two versus book three. And it's, it's getting challenging. Now I, I noticed that you said that it's like a new villain. So is the villain in book two different than the villain in book one? In book one, there is sort of a pawn villain who is, okay. um, he becomes almost an uneasy ally by the end of book two and in book three a little bit more and he has a bit of a redemption arc going on but the villain i introduced in book two is the actual overarching villain who 
basically sets the pawn villain on his path too. Okay. Um, so do you know where you're going with the villain? Like, I mean, like yeah. this villain, is he going to die at the end of book two or be overcome in some way, even if he doesn't die, or are you going to stretch him into book three? The villain actually, so in this timeline that takes place in the past, he is semi-conquered for a little while, basically cast to this outer realm so that he's just there for a couple hundred years and doesn't have much effect on the present. And by the end of book two, he is released. So my okay. characters are going to spend book three basically chasing him through time and learning about his backstory and how he started this cult basically and who he is. And then by the end of book three, he will be vanquished. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, it really depends. I think, I mean, I think, I don't think there's one cut and dried answer. It just kind of depends on how you want to set it up. And I asked about book one because you said that you're doing a lot of explaining of past relationships and, the magic system and everything and you could even go back and put those in book one since it's not published yet mm -hmm. if it would serve your story at all to have that at the beginning set up so that it's not like weighing it down later on yeah, that's um, one of the reasons why i'm holding off on publishing so if yeah. i need to adjust for continuity i can still do that yeah it's just something to keep in mind only you can decide whether that'll work for your story or not but why don't we do this um let's go through the nine plot points for book two and whatever you can for book three. I don't, I know you don't have it entirely planned yet, um, but just to give us an idea and get some sort of ideas flowing for you of different things you could do. And then you can kind of take it from there and nail down what you want to do. Okay. So um, the nine plot points, of course, are the world before intro conflict, the call to adventure, the turning point, escalation to climax, uber despair, the aha moment and resolution, which we will go through in more depth. But um, so as book two starts, what is the baseline for where your characters are at? What's going on there? Um, so my characters are separated. So I'm juggling a few different timelines here. My heroine is trapped in this place where time doesn't pass with the pawn villain. And then my other two characters are grieving the loss of their sister and they need to move on to continue the quest and find this clock tower that's basically holding time together. So before we go chronologically, um, if we skip to the end, will will you end up with an with the opposite of, of all of those things? So will the characters be together? Will they be at least have moved through their grief and found the clock tower at least? Yes, they're in the clock tower. They've pretty much fixed it like it needs to be fixed. But while doing so, they've unleashed the villain on the okay. world again. And that's, you know, I gotta say, you've actually got a really good structure, especially for a series or, you know, in this case, a trilogy, because you, you, you want to make sure and solve the problem that's going on in this book. But also, if you're going to have another book, sort of kick us into the next one. So you, you really do have that set up pretty well. For a panther, that is high praise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then we're going to, um, like I said, I usually don't go through these chronologically because I, I find it more effective to get to the end and kind of reverse engineer. Um, mm -hmm. is there a point, it's what I call the turning point in the story where the, um, characters go from a place of reaction to action. Can you think of a time you do that? So instead of having everything act upon them and I have <laughs> full disclosure to the listeners, I actually have read parts of the story. So, you know, <laughs> going from like her being, um, 
just being a prisoner in this place she's in prison to actively trying to escape that sort of thing you know not being acted upon but now actually having a plan moving mm -hmm. forward can you can you think of what that is for your characters um, in book two it's hard to pinpoint an actual it kind of happens in stages when she realizes that she can get messages out to the other two characters that gives her some power and she starts acting and then when she starts hearing the voice of her who she was in her past life in her head and she learns that story and then realizes that she can actually do magic and that she can conquer this pawn villain and get out of that valley and get back to the other two characters to help them and it's sort of split and it bookends this past um the past timeline which is has its own arc really <laughs> It's very, it's a complicated book, but yeah, well, and <laughs> you know, I'm kind of the queen of complicated books and 17 storylines going on all at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one thing that I, one, one suggestion I'm going to give you is we'll continue to go through this, but then I would take these nine plot points and do them for every single character. That's actually something I do in my books. Even if you have two characters who are essentially have the same storyline, um, like I do this in Intercron and I, I actually kind of pair them up because there tends to be more than one character that's kind of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I still do this individually for each character because they're going to have different motivations, different reasons why they're they're doing the same thing. So you have um, Joan is her name, right? Yes. Who is stuck. Mm -hmm. You might even want to do this for Catherine, her past voice, because she kind of has an agenda. And then you have the other two who are grieving and trying to find the clock tower. So those are all different storylines and you need to know what these are for each mm -hmm. individual because it's um i'm gonna screw up the names probably it's thiago and gabby right who yep. are trying to find the clock tower but they're still going to have different reasons why they're doing that thiago is a love interest a part of it is his romance with joan but then gabby obviously that's not true of her so you just kind of need to hash it out make sure you understand everybody's motivations and why they hit all of these plot points as they go through um so do you have a point? You said that she she gets messages, she starts to hear the, the voice of the past life and realizes she can conquer the villain, but is there a point when she actually acts on that and, and starts trying to get away or does she just do it more piecemeal? Um, There is a point where she realizes that the villain knows something about her has changed. And that's when she knows that she needs to leave like now because he's going to start being more active about keeping her trapped there where before he's like, she can't get away. It's no big problem. <laughs> and so she throws a knife at his face and <laughs> actually actively tries to escape. And eventually she does succeed. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking that that when she actually tries to escape is your turning point. Because mm -hmm. before that, even all of the things that the other thing is her hearing the voices and everything that's leading up to it but when she actually takes action because like for example when she hears um the voice in her head that's still something that's acting upon her because she's not taking action so she's more reacting to it and mm -hmm. she is taking action by trying to send messages so that is a form of action that she's taking but mm -hmm. she's not actually changing her situation either it's when she actually moves to change her situation that's going to be your turning point because it's, it's the energy that's, that's changing now for her character and keep in mind sometimes this is called the midpoint but i like to call it the turning point because it doesn't have to chronologically be the midpoint it it, it, it often is but it can <laughs> come a lot nearer to the end if, if it needs to well, and i just realized that catherine's turning point joan's past life is very similar where she realizes that what the villain is doing is wrong and she's been lied to and she escapes that situation as well right right ironically going into the valley that lane is joan is later trapped in but <laughs> fun to pick apart <laughs> ironies are the best part yeah that's so much fun <laughs> okay. 
So what about the other storyline, which is them looking for the clock tower? Can mm -hmm. you nail down a turning point for that? I'm thinking mm -hmm. that it's either going to be, it, it just really depends on how you craft it. It's either going to be when they go from kind of wallowing in their grief and decide to go look for the clock tower, or mm -hmm. it could be that they're looking for it pretty much from the beginning, but maybe something changes. Like they, they're looking for it, can't find it. They're looking for it. They're just hitting walls, but then something changes that makes them go, aha, and then they're actually moving toward it, you know? Yeah, because I mean, they go looking for the clock tower because they feel obligated to, but I guess the turning point would be when Gabby figures out how they can actually fix it and what they can do and they're not just spitballing, trying to figure out yeah. what actually happened to this thing and how it's even broken. Yeah, that definitely qualifies. Write that down. Okay, good. So those are almost kind of the three most, I don't know, most important parts, but it kind of is bookending the whole structure. So now mm -hmm. we've got to fill in the middle part. Um, the intro of conflict is kind of your hook. So it's um, when they get new information or something new happens. But a lot of times with the intro of conflict, they aren't acting on it right away. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think what this would be. For finding the clock tower, it might be even deciding to go, I don't know, deciding to go to the clock tower is, is definitely action oriented. But like mm -hmm. you said, they're kind of doing it out of obligation. Um, I, don't, I don't know, what do you think? What, 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 would, what would you consider the hook or the major conflict at the beginning of the story? Hmm. I mean, those two characters are in conflict too, because Gabby's going out of a sense of duty and Thiago's mostly going because it's part of his motivation to get Joan back. Mm -hmm. And because Gabby's going and he wants to protect her because he's already lost one sister. Um, so a lot of it is personal. And then, I mean, once they actually get out into the Norwegian wilderness and they're trying to survive and they realize that time is breaking down, that's, there's conflict there. It's, and these chapters are interspersed with Jones too. So do they, at the beginning of yeah. the story, do they know where the clock tower is or is that something they find out at the beginning of the story? They have an idea of where it is. They've narrowed it down to um, a certain peninsula in Norway. So they show up there and just kind of pants it until they find it. <laughs> okay. So I would say probably um, the easiest way to do it would be to say that maybe them talking about going to the clock tower or, or kind of deciding to go is your intro of conflict. And then when they actually go and embark on the journey, that's mm -hmm. sort of the call to act or the call to adventure. But what you said about them finding out that time's all messed up, that's actually also an escalation, which is mm -hmm. good to have that pretty soon that things are just kind of more messed up than they think they are. So I'm just writing this down. And then with Joan's storyline, mm -hmm. um, I think this is probably in there anyway, but just make sure that maybe at the beginning, it's, it's a matter of her wanting to escape. You know, the intro of conflict could be simply her knowing she's trapped here and wanting to escape. And then the call to adventure is her kind of trying to find new information, trying to figure out how to get word to the outside world. You know, I can see that you have those in there, but just make sure you emphasize them enough that the reader understands what the conflict is. And she also has starts having visions because, and she sees the villain in this outside realm and he's trapped there. And there, maybe that's an escalation. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I really... It could be, yeah, for sure. Because if her main conflict is trying to escape from her prison, then anything that is not directly that is, I mean, it's still good. It's all an escalation, but. Um, okay, that makes sense. 
Um, so after the turning point, if we jump to kind of the second half of the story, we do need at least one major escalation for each storyline, just something that complicates it. So after Joan realizes that she can get out and she needs to leave, what major complication does she have or what makes it harder or more complicated? There you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, my internet, it cuts out all the time. I don't know why it does that. I swear it waits until I'm on a call and then just decides to cut out at least once. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm not sure how far I got, how far you heard. Um, so after the turning point, so after Joan decides she's going to try and get out and mm -hmm. after, what do we say, we figure out how to fix the clock. We need at least one major complication. There can definitely be more than one um, for each storyline. So what happens with Joan that just makes it harder and more complex? Um, I mean, hearing Catherine in her head, it's a good thing, but it is a complication. Because uh, then she learns a whole bunch of, oh, I know what the complication is. So in her past life, she was supposedly married to this pawn villain. But then through reading a letter that this past self actually wrote to herself in the future she learns that her past self was not in love with this villain actually and there was somebody else which makes her more receptive to want to learn about her past life and get more information about how to escape and how to fix the clock tower and all that stuff and it is a good thing but it does complicate things yeah yeah and it it heightens her fear of this pawn villain because he's lied to her this whole time about that right. or has omitted things right and that's yeah that's a good one because finding out something is a lie always makes it worse and how about for um <laughs> how about for gabby and Thiago looking for the clock um well when they get there and they find evidence of the explosion that wrecked the clock tower in the first place they find bones and they realize there's might be a lot more to this than they thought and oh i know i haven't read the first third of the book in a long time but they realize that the tower is somewhat sentient it is magical and it's feeding on them basically because in my magic system magic requires fuel which can come in the form of blood bone or just life force which can be suffering and so it's kind of making their lives harder on purpose so it can feed off them okay Good, good. Now, do you know, what, or you've already written most of it, so what is the, the climax of the story? I would imagine it's going to be the two of them versus the clock tower, and then Joan versus this villain. A so, bit of everything. Joan does get back to Gabby and Thiago, and okay. Ariel follows her. Ariel is the pawn villain, and they all end up in the clock tower at the very end, and they know how to fix it. They fix it, so the tower is working, but now the villain has come back because fixing the tower has released him okay and so now they realize they need to take him down or he's going to do what all villains do in fantasy and try to end the world in a creative way right <laughs> so um how do they how do they overcome him do you have a, a specific way in which they do that in this book not in this book so that's the very very end do and... they overcome either the clock tower well you did say that they fix it which is something they were setting out to do 
And what about the the place she escaped from in that villain for Joan? Yeah, that's conquered. She got out of that. And I don't know how much more of that place there's going to be a little bit. And so she has conquered the pawn villain. And at this point, he's kind of an uneasy ally and he's going to start on his redemption arc. Okay. So there's that. So now they just have the boss fight now. So, so what happens with the villain that was released? Does he just go away or, I, I mean, how does the story end there? Um, he, so he has this clock device in his head that is sort of like a mini version of the clock tower and keeps his own personal time together because he's experimented with time so much that he's essentially broken. And without that, he spontaneously time travels and ages forward and backward. And it's just very chaotic and hard to function that way. And Ariel breaks it. And so the priest, okay. who is that villain, just spontaneously jumps to another time. They don't know where he went, but they know okay. that he's going to try to mess things up and they have to figure out where he is. Okay, okay. So that's what I'm looking for. In the climax, they have to they have to overcome him in some way here, even if he doesn't die or you know, okay. isn't isn't totally conquered. Um do you have a moment where you do like the Uber Despair or the Dark Knight of the Soul, where it seems like they're not going to win? So Theoretically, there should be something where it looks like he's going to win, whether it's he's going to kill them or enslave them or whatever. And then Ariel breaks the clock, which is how they make it okay for right now at the end of this book. Um, I mean, that moment is very, very short. I feel like my ending's a little sparse right now. Okay. He does come back and they don't know what to do. And then that happens, which makes him more dangerous and more vulnerable at the same time. Um, yeah, they might have a brief uber despair moment, but I really don't know if it's very impactful. Okay. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, it, it can be very short. It can be, it, you know, you don't have to necessarily make it a certain length, but just mm -hmm. make sure that it's there. Um, and yeah, you can always flesh it out so that it's a little bit more. Let me ask you this. What is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish overall? The villain? The villain is basically trying to usher mankind into what I'm calling an ascension right now. I might call that something different, but basically this star that he and his cult worships, they believe is a gateway to paradise. And it's kind of a play on the, oh, I forget what that cult's called, but the one that believed that the Hale-Bopp comet or Halley's comet or whatever it was was a spaceship and they're just gonna escape onto that. It's kind of the same type of deal and the world in order to get to paradise. So does he, so he wants to end the world or he wants to like kill everyone basically? I'm still figuring out the mechanics of it, but yes, in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I would say for this book, um, either, let's see if he doesn't, and, and like you said, you haven't planned it. So it just depends on what direction you take with it. If he has the mechanics in place to get rid of the entire world, whatever that is, let's just say theoretically like nuclear holocaust or something, mm -hmm. then you could use that at the end of this book to, that's what they're actually trying to stop because he's about to do it, right? And mm -hmm. by breaking the clock, they're, it's not solving the problem. He's still alive. He's still going to do it, but it's putting it off. It's buying them time. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing you could do if he doesn't have the mechanics of that right at his fingertips so that where he, he could do it right now mm -hmm. is you could have him just trying to kill them because they're trying to thwart his evil plan, you know? Um, so they're saving their own lives so that they can live to fight another day and, and stop the evil plan from going forward. So I would um, just figure out what you're doing with him for this book 
and that will make your ending a lot stronger if there's something really specific that they have to stop him from complicated because the mechanics to do this which i'm trying to figure out how much he knows about this is actually one of the characters and basically what Catherine does at the end of her story that explosion is just a mini version of what will actually need to happen for the ascension to take place okay (laughs) okay i gotcha i gotcha so i mean the next question then is that do you want to reveal that at the end of this book or is that something you want to wait to reveal that i definitely want to wait on okay okay so it would probably it would probably be better then to either have him just trying to kill one of them in some way i mean obviously if he needs her he's not going to kill her but um i'm trying to think of another way you could have him threatening to do something that would be really really bad at the end of the book maybe kill Thiago. um i mean how much does he know about uh Thiago, the tie between Thiago and tomas at this point i don't think he knows hmm. and i don't think he knows that much about okay he definitely knows joan i'd have to reread it i need to straighten out how much he actually knows and how much he's doing on purpose yeah you know it would be interesting if um and you could lay the seeds for it earlier on but you wouldn't need too many it would be interesting if if Thiago said something at the end that made him realize this was Tomas reincarnated Mm -hmm. and was really 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 threatened by that and tries to kill him or something you know what I mean it could be almost like a a cusp office leave decision on his part you know that they have to, to stop right at the end okay Ooh. okay I just thought of a good thing for not at the end but in the third book maybe since his first plan to bring about the ascension kind of failed he can spend the next book trying to figure it out and then at the end he does know and that is a big complication for the characters because okay okay <laughs> it's funny how that just happens <laughs> yeah getting some ideas um well and i'm I, I don't know i'm trying to think what this would be it would be interesting if you could somehow make him try to do something to joan without yeah. revealing like take her with like grab her as he starts time traveling or something or she's already well, been kidding maybe i do that again but <laughs> you said he's gonna need her to, to 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 uh i don't think he knows that yet so maybe he doesn't know that he needs her i don't think he does okay i mean he did try to kill her at the end of Catherine's timeline and now that she's in another body i don't imagine he's realized just what she is yet okay okay so, so that's yeah that see somebody. that's all stuff that you can reveal during the third book and so that that kind of gives you an interesting um yeah there we go an interesting framework at least from the villain's point of view so i was mm-hmm. going to say if he does know it would be interesting if he threatened her life in some way and this is probably not something you're going to want to do because of that framework but if he for example knew he needed her to blow her up or whatever and mm-hmm. he just said I'm going to kill you, but wasn't specific about it. You know what I mean? So that the mm-hmm. others just think he's going to kill her right now and they just don't understand what the plan is kind of a thing. Um, and then all that would do is kind of set up an aha moment for the reader. So at the end, they were, they, or once you get to the third book, I guess I should say, yeah. they would go, oh, he didn't mean kill her right then. He meant he needed her later. You know what I mean? Things like that. Oh, but, yeah, okay. yeah, they're fun to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of options here. Lots of options. Okay, so... For the most part, then you've got that pretty well fleshed out and you just kind of need to make some decisions about which way you want to take it. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to book three. And we don't even have to go over this in huge detail if you don't know yet, but- um, Sure don't. <laughs> so do you know, let's see, we've, we've kind of established that the major conflict for the villain, well, I guess maybe I shouldn't call it conflict. He's just trying to put this evil plan into place and 
kill all of mankind uh, for his strange twisted religious reasons. Mm -hmm. So you could even do this nine plot points for the villain. The difference is that he's not going to overcome in the climax. It's sort of a negative arc because mm -hmm. think about it like um, planning a horror film because he starts out being okay and thinking he's the hero. And at the end, he's probably going to die or be overcome or not mm -hmm. achieve victory. But you can still use these nine plot points to plot out exactly what he's going to be doing in the book. Um, in terms of the way the book starts for the next the, the characters, the next book, um, they're all going to be together, it sounds like, at the start. Mm -hmm. And you kind of know where they're going to end up. I mean, the way the climactic moment will play out. Kind of. I haven't connected, like, the beginning and the ending yet, but basically they figure out how to follow him through time they go through time and kind of learn his backstory and where this religious mania came from and his motivation for that and learn what he's learned about time and basically the characters mostly have to die in order for joan to become powerful enough to do what she has to do so that's okay. going to be the despair moment there is she's going to be alone with the big bad villain at the very end and make a very very hard decision about whether ending the world is the right thing and what that actually means okay okay and that she's sounds gonna good. do it but it doesn't lead to what they think and it's actually a good thing <laughs> okay that's good that's good so i was gonna say is this gonna end in tragedy or it's gonna be one of those things it seems like tragedy but then it's like oh just kidding door number three that you didn't see coming like that sort of thing yes <laughs> okay good. good good no those are those are really fun if you um you know, I, I watched this episode of one of my favorite shows recently, and it was like some of the best, most stellar writing I have ever seen. It was so good. And it actually ended really, really tragically. It was not a happy ending, but just like the, um, the way that they had seeded it and the way that they did repetition in it, it just blew me away. So what I would say is just make sure and put seeds for that early, but it's kind of hard and you'll need your critique group to help you out with this because you don't want to be too obvious, but, <laughs> um, you also do want to put hints in there, you know, mm -hmm. so that when they get to the end, they're like, oh, she did say this and I didn't even think of that. And, you know, that sort of thing. We need to make sure those are there because it's yeah. going to be, it's a risky ending I'm doing, but I don't know if you've ever read the Dark Tower series by Stephen King, but this trilogy is very influenced by that, like okay. a lot of structure and a lot of the characters and maybe not the characters so much, but what happens and how things get resolved kind of similar but <laughs> i've only read i've only read like the first two books so i don't know how it ends oh, so yeah never mind <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I probably couldn't help you out there um okay so do you know more specifically what the characters are going to be doing in the third book i mean you said they're jumping through time mm -hmm. um and learning things so are you going to be doing flashbacks to his backstory the way that you have to their previous lives a bit maybe not so much flashbacks but they just I think Thiago and Joan are going to be following the priest around okay, and just learning about his life. So we'll actually be seeing things in real time, even though they take place in different points in time chronologically. And I think Gabby is going to travel through time and basically meet her parents in the past and work with them on something and trying to figure out where Ariel's going to go. He might do his own little side mission. I don't know, but... Okay. Okay. So once again, just use the nine plot points. But the other thing I was going to say is, and this is something you'll probably figure out as you start going and just figuring out the story, but whatever they discover. So when um, Joan and Thiago are following the priest around, 
So they're going to be kind of like time travelers, just getting there and like observing his life. Is that right? Yeah, more or less than picking up breadcrumbs so they can figure out how to stop him. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's what I was going to say is anything they learn needs to directly be related to how they're going to overthrow him in the end or whatever the final, her final um, solution is, you know, mm -hmm. whatever she comes to. You're also going to want to pay attention to the internal uh, side of it because whatever decision she makes is going to be influenced by whatever they find along the way. Mm -hmm. So if you have her... Um, deciding to end the world, we need to see why she came to that conclusion. And if we have her deciding to, um, you know, sacrifice someone in order to kill him, we need to see why she came to that conclusion. And it should be like, not just because she's a good person, you know what I mean? Like it has to be tied to the things she's found and the things she's told us in the story. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Do you, do you want to go through the nine plot points for these or is that going to be too hard because you don't know yet? At this point, it might be pushing it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what I will do is I will also send you um, some internal, I've got some internal, um, what do you call them, like templates that I can send you as well. Sometimes it helps to do the internal transformation first. So for example, I don't, again, I don't know which one you're going to have her do because you haven't told us what the whole ending is yet. But if, say, she decides that she's going to sacrifice her friends so that she can stop the priest. At the mm -hmm. beginning, she needs to be doing the opposite of that and just saying, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to figure it out. It's not going to happen. And then slowly over time, she'll come to realize that that's the right decision. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that there's kind of an internal swing to her arc. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever the ending ends up being, just kind of fill that in. Um, but I will send you the internal plot points as well. If you kind of mesh them, do the internal and the external, and then like lay them out side by side and kind of put them together, almost braid them together, then mm -hmm. you end up filling in a lot of plot holes and figuring a lot of things out. It's really hard to um, <laughs> get your entire novel written on six different levels if you're only looking at the external. You know what I mean? You kind of need to do yeah. internal and external and the world building and, and all of that. So that's the other thing you can do too. If you're having a hard time figuring out a plot point, you already know your world pretty well because you've written through book two. So mm -hmm. use the magic of your world and the other world building things that you've done and see if you could apply them to one of these plot points and come up with something when you're, you know, kind of running out of ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, has that been helpful at all to you or? Extremely helpful. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I would say that we kind of talked about before I hit record is just make sure if you're not sure whether something goes in this book or in the third book, just mm -hmm. pay attention to the direct conflicts. Um, okay. Like we said, in book two, Joan is trying to escape from this prison. Mm -hmm. And the other two are looking for the clock and trying to figure that out. If it's something outside that, if it's something extraneous that isn't mm -hmm. going to directly affect the climax of book two, then probably you need to push it either to book three or you can put it in earlier if it's something that affects all three books and that the reader kind of needs to know from the get-go. And then the same thing with book three. So if Joan and Thiago are chasing the priest and their biggest thing is going to be overcoming the priest, like they're the most direct, mm -hmm. biggest climactic um, storyline so just make sure that it always has to deal with that whatever Ariel's doing make sure it has to do with his little side mission and also how that's going to um affect the climax you know his his side mission has to come into play otherwise there's no point in doing it um and I, I'm really intrigued by the Gabby and her parents I like that <laughs> like I said yeah. I, I've read some of this and that's super fun so whatever she figures out there should also be used in the in the climactic moment to help overcome the villain yeah I've never actually even though I kind of Kind of knew, I knew they were going to split up, but 
I'd never actually said out loud or even written that these two are going here. Gabby's going there. Ariel is either going with Gabby or doing his own thing. And now I kind of have an idea of the different subplots I'm going to be juggling here and what the point of each one is. Like Gabby's going to have to figure out whatever her parents knew and right. go through that. And Joan and Thiago were following the priest and Ariel. Ooh, now I know what Ariel's going to do too. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is. You just need a springboard and just saying it out loud kind of solidifies mm -hmm. it in your mind. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I'm thinking is that you, you've actually created in the first two books, kind of a mystery around the parents. So it just makes sense that you would have to reveal what actually happened that had to do with their deaths and what they knew and what was found in the clock yes. and all of that before the end of the series, you know? Yeah. And I realized there's a whole lot of history with them and Ariel that I had not gotten into at all. So like, okay, <laughs> we should go back and look at that. Cause there's probably a lot of good stuff there. And also the reader's probably wondering what on earth happened there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and keep in mind, I mean, I'm, you know me, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of long series. And if you, I, I always think it's easier to add than it is to subtract. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in the writing. <laughs> it's always harder to write and easier to edit things out. But mm -hmm. when it comes to creating the story, if there's more history there that you want to go through and it feels like you're going through 17 volumes of history in a single installment, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to expand it like to a, to a fourth book or a fifth book because it would be really easy to put in extra conflicts that the priest is trying to accomplish and just have them overcome them in each book before you reach the final, we're actually going to triumph okay. here. I mean, I think of- I think that I'll be back because I have no idea how to, <laughs> how to expand well, it much, but- Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't have to. If you can get it all in, then, then you know, do whatever it will serve your story. But I know that I've done that before where- and think of, we actually have a friend, Mallory, who did this. She, she realized she was going, I've got three different locations yeah. and there's so much extra I want to put in. I might as well make it three books instead of one. So you don't end up with like a 300,000 word book. Um, but anyway, one that, and that I know you like is uh, Harry Potter. She does this really well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, clearly she doesn't take out Voldemort until the final book, but each time there's something Voldemort's trying to do on a smaller scale that they have to you know, thwart that evil plan. And that's just yeah. for that one book. And of course they're learning things along the way and they're aging and all of that. So um, it's just, I find it easier to put things in than mm -hmm. to try to take out history that's going to be really instrumental for the end of the story. So anyway, just something to consider. Okay. Yeah, it's good to know. And I've, I thought about that the other day. It's like, this is getting really big. What if I have to do more books and structure wise? I don't know if it works, but if I end up needing to do that, I'm sure you can help me structure things so that I have that arc in each book and then it's not just cutting something in half. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, think of it this way. Um, what all have you had, your main villain, the priest, what have you had him do so far? Like in book one, in book you said one, he got he, imprisoned, right? Yeah, in book one, he's only mentioned very indirectly. And we know that this is someone that kind of messed up time and built this tower that's holding time together but it's slowing down and if it completely shuts down then time is frozen and the world is hurled into this timeless hell basically in book two we go in the past and everything most of what he does is in the past where he's running this cult and he's manipulating these characters to do his dirty work basically and then at the very end he tries to well at the end of the past timeline he tries to kill Catherine to kickstart the clock tower, but instead she kind of goes out on, on her own terms and expels him to the darkness, basically. 
Right. And then he comes back and is going to do something nefarious, like threatening someone or injuring someone. I don't know, something. And then when his clock in his head is broken, then he just spontaneously travels to some unknown time and they have to find him. That's what he does. Okay. So I think, I, I mean, again, this is only if you want to do this, but you could always break it up into smaller chunks mm -hmm. of what he's accomplishing each book. I mean, I think having him... Um, be in prison in the first book and then getting out, like those could be the first two books. You know, he's out now, he's doing his evil plan. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. um, maybe if you were to do four books, the end of the third book is him getting a hold of Joan or putting things in place that he needs to, mm -hmm. you know, follow through with this plan. But then after that is them actually stopping him. So, you know what I mean? You could just break it into smaller, more specific chunks of different, like a step-by-step -step thing that he's doing um mm -hmm. in each book if if that's something you wanted to do to expand just keep in mind that the villain is is driving the whole story the conflict if not for him there would be no story because nobody would be trying to kill oh, humanity shit. and all of that so okay again just something to consider as you're planning <laughs> okay so um well we are coming up on an hour anything else that you want to know or anything else that you're having trouble with that you want to hash out um Do I need to explain the entire magic system in the second book, or can I leave some little bits till later? Like the other day, I was—I mean, I know why Ariel lost his power because he used to have visions just like Joan and Gabby and everyone, and we don't quite know what happened there. Mm -hmm. Like um, little things like that, little loops in the readers' minds, and I'm wondering, do I need to take care of all of those in book two, or can we leave those for book three? And I don't know if it matters, but I just don't want this book to get humongous. Yeah. Um, I would say it depends on, you should always tell them what they need to know for a given book. So the mm -hmm. reason he lost his powers, does it have to do with something that will come into play in any of the climactic moments? Honestly, no, because okay. I mean, we do find out that the spells that have made him immortal, we know that they've also kind of made it easier for the villain to control him. Okay. And as the villain drained away his will. He also inadvertently drained away the power that made Ariel so useful to him in the first place. Okay. But I don't know if we actually need to know that part just yet. Well, I think Ariel can discover on his side mission as part of his redemption arc. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say maybe maybe part of his side mission can be kind of extricating himself from the bad yeah. guy's will. But I actually do like that as a theme because it would be interesting if the bad guy kind of, and I mean, I don't want to say he would be enlightened by it, but if we kind of came to realize that he's shooting himself in the foot, you know what I mean? Even though he's, he wants to take over and he wants to be in control, but um, let's see, how could you bring that over? Because it's not very fun to be in control of robots. Like people who, who get their kicks being in control, it's because they can control a human being. But the more he controls them, the less like human beings they are. So he's always going to end up being unfulfilled by that at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, that would be, I, I don't know how you would do it, but that would be fun to work into the plot somehow, you know? Kind of, because Catherine's spells, maybe he did figure out that that's why Ariel lost his powers. And so he didn't put that into Catherine's spells because she is very powerful and he needs those visions. So maybe he does know, but, but he manipulates Catherine with good old fashioned, you know, manipulation and not necessarily yeah. forcing but he's mis messing with this magic, these powers that are really chaotic and really dangerous. And basically the only one who can use them safely is Joan slash Catherine. And 
I mean, that's why he broke time, basically, is he's messing with stuff that ought not be messed with. Uh huh. Oh, that's fun. I can do so much with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's a really good theme that you could put into it. Um, and, you know, people like when, how do you explain this? Um, I, I mean, clearly he's a narcissist because most villains are. But if we can kind of see that he's also chiseling away at his own soul while he's doing that, but being yeah. a fantasy, if you could have a, like a really, this is actually something I'm struggling with, with the series I'm writing too, um, because you just want, not, not that I don't know what it is, but I, it's just hard to come up with something that works, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's a physical thing, some sort of physical <laughs> manifestation for that. You what? You make it look so easy though. Your chapters are always so put together and I feel lame. So I'm like, I don't have much to say here. Like little, <laughs> your structure is just so flawless. But um, you plan, I pants. Yeah, I am a planner. I am definitely a planner. But if you could come up with something that's like, um, there should always, the whole point of the story is that the story is the analogy for the theme, right? So if there was some sort of physical thing you could show, um, that is that is bad it's like a negative consequence for what he's doing but he doesn't care because he's such a narcissist and he wants that power and it's worth it to him so he's gonna blow the world up anyway but mm -hmm. it, it would just like kind of create another layer of depth to be like he's doing this to himself like because readers do that they're like why would somebody do this but that just makes him a better villain because he's a little bit crazy he's not very logical about it you know yeah so and i'm excited to explore the reasons for that <laughs> those are the fetish lives <laughs> Yep, I always say my favorite villains are just a little bit insane, <laughs> or a lot. <laughs> He's one who has become a lot more insane over time. That's another theme I play with, is that just living too long makes you insane, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, but, well, you know, one thing you could do, you could mess with that. Is his clock going to get fixed, the one that gets broken, or is it always going to be broken? I think it's always going to be broken, and at this point, he's basically a lich where his power is just bound to his decaying body and by the end of it he's just going to be so mutilated body and soul that he's completely unrecognizable as a human being and i think that works well with his arc yeah what he's become since he was this you know this pretty successful preacher in our modern times to how he's gotten to this time traveling supervillain. right yeah well i mean the image of the broken clock if you use it a lot that that would be a really good image for how broken he is for sure um it would be fun if you like saw the clock working backwards or had him speak backwards when the clock started working backwards and then go forward again just to show that it's all kerplooey you know what i mean like it's just not oh i love it <laughs> yeah like i feel way more confident about planning book three i've been avoiding it for months but now i think i can actually start on the outline good good yay <laughs> well like i said um just come back to the structure whenever you need to because structure i mean i i always tell people you don't have to live within your structure and especially pantsers they really push back because they don't want to be um you know what i mean like confined within the, and that's fine it's not set in stone yeah. change it by all means if you get inspiration i encourage people to change it but looking at templates and and especially examples of how other stories have handled those plot points can just get the ideas flowing it's just like a springboard for ideas yeah i want to get better at planning but my problem is is i can just not i cannot find the heart of my book when i'm planning like it has mm -hmm. to be while I'm writing dialogue and scenes and figuring things out, but I'm trying to get better. So it doesn't take me three years to write a book, but yeah, we'll see. Well, that's, yeah, that's part of what I teach. I mean, I think, 
I always say that plotting and pantsing are pretty much the same thing when it comes to like what's actually going on in your brain. Obviously, typing versus not typing, they're different, but um, <clears throat> it's just about learning to relax your brain and mm -hmm. it, it just takes practice. That's all. I mean, it's like, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but yeah. if you can, because if you think about it, when you're, when you're typing or, or, you know, writing your story, however you do that, you're relaxing your brain and just kind of letting the ideas flow. And that's why that works. But if you can teach your brain to do that without typing while you're writing your outline, or even just take a pen and start writing, that's kind of the equivalent of what we're doing here is just hashing out ideas and letting things flow. And then you can learn to do that for an outline instead of while you're writing, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's just teaching your brain to do it a little bit differently. Yeah. That's what I want to do because the editing process for me just takes forever and it is yeah. excruciating because <laughs> I have to change so much and add so much in and it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm, I'm such a control freak. I hate, I can't like the, the idea of throwing 20,000 words away because I realize they're not serving my story just horrifies me. I can't yeah, do it. <laughs> like so it's just better for me to plan. <laughs> Or, you know, basically rewriting your entire book because it's like this, this isn't working. This didn't, this didn't go where it was supposed to go, but yeah, I didn't know who my characters were when I started. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I'll get there. I'm getting better. Yep. The fact that I'm like actually going to plan this book before I write it is an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing that you can do, because a lot of times it's true that the inspiration doesn't come until we get started. And that can be true of outlining or of pantsing. So it could be that you'll plan, you'll start writing and then something will change. It'll be way different than you originally thought. But mm -hmm. the, I just always see it as, you know, even the pantsers that I've taught, the outline gives them a place to start. Once mm -hmm. they start, they might find what their story is really about. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe that's still pantsing more than planning, but if they hadn't had that outline, they wouldn't have gotten started. You, you know what I mean? It just kind of makes the whole thing faster, even if you are pantsing. So yeah, faster. That's what I want. Yeah. All right, cool. Any other questions I can answer for you? I think I'm good, but this has been so helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> good luck with your story. I'm excited right. to read more chapters. Thank you. See you soon. <laughs> me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.